Nigga, we just went through COVID. You could say bitch, fuck, shit, and damn now. Be advised. Hey y'all, I'm Jen. I'm from Oakland, and I'm a queer, black, feminist scholar. This is Darren, hailing from the mean streets of Anaheim. I'm an introvert, a novelist, and a nerd. We're early 30-somethings with three kids and over a decade of marriage. This is a podcast about the realities of blackness and adult life. We do adult differently. This is That Black Couple. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm doing good. Guess what? What? We're back. We are back. We are back from a unplanned hiatus. Unplanned hiatus. Because yes. the world was rolling and we needed a fucking break. <laughs> we had to cope. We had to cope. We had to grieve. Um, we lost some people. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of tears. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of marijuana. Yes. A lot of alcoholic beverages. A lot of a, a, a wide variety of alcoholic beverages and marijuanas. And so maybe that's why today we are talking about black healing and trauma during COVID. Because mm-hmm. we had to find a way. Yeah, and whatever after COVID looks like, because that's kind of what we're in right now. Yeah, whatever this is, this, this uncharted is, territory. Yeah, this is this is during, but it's also after. Yeah, because it's not over. It's not over. So. Let's get started then. You ready? I'm always ready. This is episode 30 of season two of That Black Couple. I would like y'all to grab some mango margaritas mm. or or oh, or a passion fruit, fruit margarita. Some I like I like frozen margaritas more than margaritas on ice. Yeah, because you, you, you're not trying to get the straight alcohol shot. I just like it to taste like a slushy. Right. Yeah. Alcoholic yeah. slushy. You want it disguised. Right. So get your margarita, bro. Uh, salt on the rim, of course. Have a seat. This is That Black Couple. I'm Jen. I'm Darren. And before we get started, make sure you follow us on the Twitters and the Instagrams at That BLK Couple, on Facebook at That Black Couple, and look us up on the internets at www.thatblackcouple.com. You can stream our episodes basically any place you can stream any type of podcast. That includes Google Play. Apple iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and a whole plethora of other outlets there out in the internet. Um, but as always, make sure that you give us those super, super high ratings because we are black people who made it through a global pandemic. Yes. And we deserve all of the rewards and all of the bounty. As do you. Yes, we all do. Yeah. We're all in community with each other and we all deserve those things. Absolutely. All right. So let's get started on first things first. What you got for us, Darren? Yes. So first things first, obviously, we always talk about how we got to this. Wait, thing. hold on. I'm about to light up. <laughs> on first things first, <laughs> we always talk about, you know, how we arrived at this idea for the episode. And I think this one's pretty clear. We we got here because we've been through a damn global pandemic and it's been hard and it's been rough and it felt like it was never going to end and it felt like punishment and in the midst of that, though, there was a lot of good that came out of it. There's a lot of things that we learned. There's a lot of things um, that we experienced that we are now better for. Absolutely. And I think that one thing that we can say, I mean, this is a time of immense grief. This is a time that all of us have 
been tested. Folks have lost jobs. People have lost family members. Thousands and thousands of people have died. Um, We are still grieving every single day. People are still dying from COVID-19 all over the world, all over the country. So this is not at all for us to, you know, we're not insinuating that anything has passed. But we do want to be honest about the fact that we are working through a very difficult time in community with one another, right? So I think coming to this episode, we're trying to think about what have we done to get through it? Like, what have we done to stay afloat? What have we done to find joy? What have we done to work through what this new reality is? And it's grim, you know, but we also still deserve happiness amidst all that. And I I think, you know, it's one of those things, especially when I think about the black community is a lot of our history is tragedy, right? We've been through a lot of shit through decades, through the centuries. It's always been a fight. It's always been a struggle. But one of those things that's emblematic of the black community is overcoming that and finding joy even in those dark moments and, you know, fighting through it and and showing our resilience and our strength and our brilliance and our beauty and all of those things, the multi facets of blackness in the midst of those struggles and tragedies. I agree. And I think that is what we choose to remember and what we choose to focus on that really matters. I think that, you know, history would have us believe because we know who it's written by. History would have us believe that all we do is struggle, that in order to be black, it, we require struggle and that we are not ourselves if we're not talking about our struggles. But the truth is, is that there's so much fullness to blackness and so much beauty has also come out of these last year and a half, two years or so with people getting married and having children and folks really digging deeply into who they are and their gender and their sexuality and how they want to move through the world. Folks working on trauma and healing, folks making whole plant communities and stuff. Um, we're going to talk about that later. But I just think there's a lot that people are doing for themselves to return to themselves. And I'm really glad to talk about it today. I mean, and I can say personally, you know, going through this whole experience, has really been a transformative process. You know, I, it really made me sit with myself because I couldn't go places. I couldn't really distract myself or, you know, you know, invest my time and energies in other things that would take me away from really looking at myself in the mirror and taking stock and seeing what I like, what I don't like, what I want to change, and then actually taking the time and, and putting the steps in place to figure out how to actually, you know, carry out that change. That's some real shit. Like, I shaved my head <laughs> during quarantine. Yeah. Like, I came out as gender flex. We started really talking about what it means to heal in public, you know, going to therapy. But we already were going to therapy, but like, really going to therapy. I started psychotherapy, just really working through the parts of our lives that were still kind of unaddressed. Because you know what? A lot of us had more time to do it. We just, we were home and we were kind of sitting there and it forced us to engage with ourselves and with our environments and to clear away some of the people and the things that were not necessary to our survival. That's the thing that it showed me the most is that a lot of the stuff I was doing was not necessary. And actually it was extractive to my life. That's what's been really bringing me peace is the things that I can let go of. Yeah. It's, it's the hamster wheel, right? So when you're on the hamster wheel and you're running, you got to go do this thing and you got to go run to the office and you got to go to the store and you got to run over here. And then there's a party over here and there's this and that, right? There's all these things going on in, it doesn't always give you the space to look at things holistically and say, are these things working for me? Am I being fulfilled? Are these things, like you said, extracting from from what's important to me? Am I spending time on the people and on the things that I care about most? And I think going through this whole quarantine experience has really put in, in perspective, not just for us, but for people all over the world, what really matters and what really doesn't. 
that's what I'm that's what I'm taking from all this is that I feel like collectively black people have been like, hey, that's going to be a no for me. And I'm really excited about what that looks like in the future. Like, what does it look like for all these black folks to start saying, hey, yeah, no, we're not going to be doing that. We're not working those hours. We're not going to work under those conditions. We're not going to live like this. We're not going to accept these situations. Like, I love that a lot of what has happened from the wreckage, right, from the ashes, is that a lot of black folks have stood up and said, we are absolutely not going to tolerate the bullshit Mm -hmm. and that to me is very transformative and that to me is is where i'm like oh as an abolitionist i'm just really excited about the future and where we're going and and that's the one thing i'll say like recently i've been hearing all this talk about the great resignation and kind of all this talk of this movement of people just playing on quitting their jobs Mm -hmm. and basically looking at their current jobs and saying Fuck this shit. Yep. I can do better. Yep. I can work someplace else. I don't have to work here. I don't have to live under these rules that, that they're trying to to you know hang over my head with, with a paycheck. Right. I can I can go somewhere else. I do have options. Right. Right. And I feel like as you said, putting that in context for black America, right? That's a very that's a really powerful thing. It really for people is. to just say, no. It really, really is. It changes the landscape of the world that we live in. It changes how we're oriented toward capitalism. It changes how we invest in our communities, our comrades, and our families. Like, I am so excited about the fact that people are realizing that they don't have to do shit that they don't want to do. Now, granted, there's so much risk with that, right? Mm -hmm. But what quarantine forced these institutions and the state to do is to build that scaffolding and that systemic framework to support people in ways that it didn't have to before, right? Like, healthcare companies had to figure out what telehealth was. They had to figure out how therapy could be made virtual. Like they had to build all this infrastructure, and now that we have it, we know they can do it. And and it's real. Once you once you let people have something, it's that's really it. Really hard to take Jack it back. Jack in the box is out the box, bro. We know now. We know you could have done it all along. So now mm-hmm. that we know, nigga, it's time to do it. That's it. This podcast is supported by generous donations from listeners and readers of our mom and dad's web magazine, watercoolercombos.com. You can stream the show on Spotify, Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. When you listen, please consider hitting that heart button, sharing, giving us a five-star rating, and leaving some dope comments. This helps us with our page rankings and gets more listeners for the show. Thank you so much. And we're back. We're back. What section is this? This is the conversation. Which means what? We're going to conversate. Exactly. <laughs> you know it's my favorite part. I know it is. Uh, <laughs> I just really like to talk about shit. I really talk like to talk about like the real facts. I think that's what really matters. And I feel yeah. like you know too many podcasts be just kind of people talking out their ass about, these are my opinions and this is how I feel. And I'm no like, shade. No shade yeah, to no other shade. podcasts who just be talking a lot of stuff out the crack of their ass. I, I listen to those podcasts and I enjoy them. I listen to meeting. them as well. But I feel like, you know... We that's also gotta have, us. you know, that's just not us. Some facts, yeah, some truths. As 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 Patty Labelle would say. Oh wait, actually, I don't know what she would say. <laughs> <laughs> what what quote are you tr- are you trying to pull? I just now? feel like she would say something petty, but I don't know exactly what it would be. Oh, I'm, she would. I'm just it. It would just be something petty, and I don't know exactly what. I feel like she'd be like, yeah, um, that's what the other people do, but Patty Labelle does not. Like I feel like she would say something in the third person, like Patty Labelle has a standard. I could see it. And I feel like we're trying to be Patty LaBelle. Mm-hmm. And then and then you got to jubilee that shit. And the then end. here go Aretha. Gowns. <laughs> Beautiful gowns. 
You know what I'm saying? I don't... <laughs> I'm going to bring it back to the conversation. Okay, go back. I'm sorry. Go back. I'm a little high now. I, you saw I blazed I, up in the first segment. You blazed up? Okay, go ahead. Go first ahead. things first. I'm going to let you finish. I, I can see the arc. I'm going to let you finish. But, okay, so bring it back to the conversation. So, yeah, we're, we're talking about black healing and trauma during the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, just to ground this conversation, I really want to focus in on the facts of what has transpired and what continues to transpire as a result of COVID-19. Number one, and most importantly, indigenous, black, Pacific Islander, and Latinx Americans have been the most affected by COVID-19. That is bar none. When you look at the rates, when you look at the the death rates, when you look at those that have been infected, um, it's pretty clear and it's pretty apparent that these are the communities that are most largely affected. I mean, and when you, you know, to focus in on those rates a little bit more, right? Pacific Islander, Latino, Indigenous, and Black Americans all have a COVID-19 death rate that is double or more than that of white and Asian Americans, right? So it's, it's funny because, because I feel like I've, I've seen some news coverage of this. I feel like I've heard some people talking about this, but it's one of those things when you really look at those stark numbers, you realize how bad this is and how it should have been such a bigger story. And it should have been something that's been talked about so much more. Absolutely. And it continues to be something that that needs to be talked about more going forward. Absolutely. And I think what's been hardly, I mean, hard for me in even watching the news about COVID is that it was so overt and blatant for me as a black person. Um, But then to know that other people see that and are unmoved by it, right. That it was kind of just like, another data fact or another statistic that just kind of was whizzing across their screen as they were working through whatever they were working through. But for me, that was unavoidable because that was my actual life. Well, I mean, I think the problem is the way that people think about it is you think about the numbers, right? And so you think, oh, there's so many people that are affected. And if you look at just the, once again, the plain numbers, the people in volume that were most affected were white people because there's more more white people. But the fact that there are that many wor- more white people, but somehow that many more on a on a percentage basis right. are minority communities that are getting right getting um, these adverse you know reactions and, and effects. That really that really tells a lot. It tells a lot, but also I think it's one of those things where COVID really exposed these infrastructural and systemic problems that a lot of us have been talking about for so many years. Um, COVID really showed us when folks were talking about institutional racism and talking about systemic anti-blackness, what that really looks like. It looks like medical facilities that are making choices about how to treat people with COVID and how those choices are often racialized. It looks like communities where there are higher concentrations of Black and Latinx folks getting COVID vaccines into their actual uh, institutions and then white people coming from wealthier places and taking, mm-hmm. right? It looks like all these ways that that white privilege showed its ass over the last two years um, that we have been kind of talking about as a risk. And then COVID presented this moment where everything came to a head and it was disappointing yep. to watch because then it's like, oh, I didn't really want to be right. Well, and that and that's why it's important to educate people. That's why it's been important this whole time to talk about, you know, all of these systemic issues and have people understand what systemic race, what systemic racism is for a critical race theory to be something that is taught 
and that kind of just batted around like a like a political <laughs> right like it's not an argument right like we we need to understand critical race theory because it actually is a fun a fundamental feature of how our daily lives are organized this is how yeah. we live our lives and if we're lucky enough to have health coverage right so that we can also go somewhere and have someone you know make sure that our our cancer is prevented or our heart attack or our stroke is is caught before it becomes a major issue we might not be lucky enough to have someone who can help us with our teeth and our eyes like it's Mm -hmm. just one of those things where i think a lot of things became exposed during COVID, where it's like we really in this country have to fight so that somebody will help us make sure we keep our teeth in our mouth well and 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 let me let me add some more facts to this conversation right because we just talked about all the systemic stuff and how that's the cause and that's the problem. And a lot of people like to then make that an argument and say, it's not that it's not that it's the black people are just unhealthy. It's because they eat too much fast food. Right. It's all these other things. But, you know, someone did the research. Someone did their work. They did their homework um, and, they, and they put the reports together. And what they found is that the, the pattern of health disparity that we saw during the COVID-19 crisis wasn't explained by underlying health conditions like heart disease or diabetes. Mm-hmm. That that did not prove out to be the cause for the health disparities. Mm-hmm. What it really was is it was social determinants of health, mm-hmm. like employment or access to health insurance and health care. Those were the things that actually were the disproportionately affecting minority communities and causing those big disparities in the numbers. Mm-hmm. They also they, what they found is that people with uh, people without health care, people that were unemployed. And, and, and people that had access to poor air mm. were the people that were having these worse reactions, that right. were having lower health outcomes. Right. And so when we talk about systemic racism, when we talk about environmental racism, when we talk about critical race theory, when we talk about all of these things, COVID-19 really put a big spotlight on those it things. Sure did. And it was basically saying, see? It see? sure did. It sure did. And what it showed us is that Healing is not always going to be something that we have to talk about just from a physical standpoint, but that healing is a total life process. Like we have to think about healing in terms of how we're healing ourselves mentally, emotionally, physically, and how we're creating environments around ourselves that keep us safe and protected, that our energy is protected, where we can actually rest. We have a whole episode on sleep. Mm-hmm. Right, where we're reducing our stress, where we're allowing ourselves to heal from the day's work, from the day's stressors to protect ourselves from things like COVID-19. So it's been a whole, I feel like a whole movement where people are realizing this is really a complex process. And when you introduce things like systemic racism, anti-blackness, medical disparity, environmental racism, all it does is further complicate, complicate and jeopardize the potential health of communities that are already vulnerable mm-hmm. and i think i think the thing to really take out of this conversation i think it's something that cannot be um underscored enough is that i feel like a lot of minority communities are pushed to gaslight themselves yes to say oh if you just work harder or oh it's not it's not racism it's just you or it's it's these other things or oh it's just chance you know sometimes it works out for people and sometimes it doesn't right don't let yourself be gaslit don't gaslight yourself into thinking that these things are not real that they that they don't exist because they do exist mm-hmm. and there are real world outcomes of them and that makes it all the more important for you to really prioritize yourself and to Absolutely. prioritize your, your your healing and to prioritize all those self-care things that we've been talking about for so long. Yep. 
to, to say, no, this shit is real. Absolutely. And there's a reason why I have to do this to maintain and protect myself. I keep thinking about Audre Lord saying that uh, self-care is an act of revolution. But how people don't put that in the context of her life and that she was talking about self-care toward the end of her life after she had been diagnosed with cancer and that a lot of her self-care work happened after she was really struggling for her life. She had given so much of her life for so long, but her self-care work wasn't emphasized until she was working to, to not die. And I think that a lot of us are are told that we have to give ourselves away. We have to work, 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 not protect ourselves. Don't take care of our energy. Don't get that massage. Don't get that sleep. Hustle, 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 grind, grind, grind until you work yourself into an early grave. And then we go, oh, self-care after we've been diagnosed with right. something or after we've had an injury or after we pass out and faint. And I'm like, I really want black folks to start thinking about ourselves as a, 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 a community that should always be engaging in healing justice. We should always be thinking about ourselves as needing to heal from both trauma and from the physical stressors and harms that we endure just by being black under a white supremacist, heteropatriarchal capitalist system. We, we deserve so much more. We deserve so much more. And we have to also allow ourselves to get it. Right. Like we have to be OK with sitting our asses down, too. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next segment. Mm-hmm. You can find my mom and dad, a.k.a. That Black Couple, on the web at thatblackcouple.com. That Black Couple is owned and operated by Color Convos Media. If you would like to help fund our content, sign up at www.patreon.com slash media. Please consider giving $5 or $10 per month to help us build our platform and grow our organization. You can also give one-time donations at www.paypal.me forward slash watercoolerconvos. All donations are welcome. All right. So we're back. We're back. Let's get into the reflection. Are you ready to reflect? I am ready to reflect. Okay. So I think that this has all been helpful information. I think that it's good for people to have it, but I also think we should tell folks what we've been doing to, you know, help and heal and cope during quarantine. Yeah. Okay. What, what have you done? Well, um, I am now a plant zaddy. <laughs> I have 65 plants. <laughs> And I am now a plant enabler. (laughs) (laughs) I started off quarantine with zero plants. um, And now I have 65. Um, I know that sounds like a high number, but it's not. Um, In my plant circles, people have upwards of 100 to 200. So, you know, I'm not doing that bad. And so that's what I tell myself. And it used to be a higher count. It was, it, it, it oscillates between 60 and 70. I've not gone over 70. Like 70 is my limit because it takes a lot of labor, a lot of fertilizer, a lot of repotting, soil, storage. I mean, I'm out here, you know, planting stuff outside now. Like I'm learning about the different ecosystems and my growing zone. I know way too much about this. Shit. I'm basically a horticulturist at this point. It's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, but it works for you. Yes. Uh, so if you all would like to follow me, you can find me on Instagram at Jen the Plant Ho. And Ho is spelled H E A U X. Jen with two N's, the Plant Ho. Mm. So I do that. Additionally, this is not new to quarantine, but it probably started to kick up a bit during this crisis. I am the same stoner I've always been. 
Um, but now I'm at home, so I can be more of a active connoisseur of the Marys and the Janes, you know. Um, you know, I've got my own favorite strains, and it's now legal in the state of New York, which is fantastic. I really think that whatever state I move to, it will become legal. So you're, you're the harbinger? I am the harbinger of legalization of weed. Mm, okay. Wherever I move, it becomes legal because now it's legal in Illinois. And I just left there. So so people need to just send for you. Just wherever I am, follow me. Okay. You know? And that, that to me seems like a logical recommendation, right? I mean, I don't know. It, it pans out if you ask me. <laughs> I'm from California. And if I go somewhere, I bring the weed with me. So anyway. So there's that. And also just like, you know, therapy. Therapy is so important. It's so critical. I really, really like my therapist. She is a queer white lady. Um, I did a lot of work to find her. It took a while. It was not a fun search. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm very clear with her about what my trauma is, what I'm working through. Um, I'm now going through psychotherapy. So I'm thinking about, you know, actually reliving some of the traumatic events that I've lived in my life and mm. trying to get to the heart of them, doing inner child work. I'm working on the artist's way. We're doing that together with Tia. Yeah. Um, my partner, which is really, really dope. So we're working on bringing out our creativity and, and dealing with the things that we struggle with every single day. So I think that, you know, in all this conversation about how COVID has uniquely affected black folks, I want us to also think about the ways that we can heal ourselves and bring care back to our communities. And there's so many tools at hand for us to do that. Well, and I think, you know, even as you were saying kind of your list of things that you've been doing, what came to mind to me is it's really important not to feel shame about any of those things. You know, people might say, that's too many damn plants. People might say, you need to get off that reefer. You know, they could have. Wow, whose voices are these? I don't know. It's it's get off that reefer. I don't know. People who use the word reefer. I don't know. Reefer. Um, but in any case, you know, you sh- you shouldn't feel shame about those things. Like it's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with it Absolutely. as long as you're healthy and happy. Everything in moderation. Yeah, yeah. You know, as long as it's something that you keep contained. So what have you been doing then? Tell us more about yourself. Sir. What have I been doing? Um, okay, so I've definitely been going to therapy. You I've have. been doing a lot of therapy. Um, really questioning a lot of things about my life and really trying to actually dive into my past in a way that I haven't before. Mm-hmm. I'm someone who's who's definitely been on the keep it moving train and just keep pushing forward and kind of don't look back. Mm. And I've taken this time to say, maybe we should look in that review mirror mm-hmm. and, and examine what was there mm-hmm. and, and see how it made us feel mm-hmm. and see what we liked and what we didn't like and see how it might be informing how we act and interact with people today. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been kind of huge for me. Um, Out of that has also come, I think, just some truth telling. Mm. Let's just tell the truth. Yeah. Let's just tell the truth for what it is. And and then we'll we'll figure out a a way forward after we tell that truth. No more gaslighting. Yeah. Don't gaslight yourself Mm -hmm. Um, for for the good, for the bad. Let's just let's live in the truth. Um, And the last one, I think, you know, and this came really came out of the the artist way that you just talked about yeah. is really, really kind of working on servicing my inner child. Yeah. So just trying to have fun, do yeah. things that I enjoy. Right. So I've been, I've been definitely playing a lot more. We've been video, playing more video games. A bro. lot of video we games. We got Halo. We got that Halo download on Xbox. That has been amazing. Yeah. We're, we're literally oh going back and playing Ugh. all of the 
Halo that we've played over the over decades. Over the last, yes. Um, in sequence, which has been great. 20 years of Halo. Um, I've been playing a lot of Xbox. Mm-hmm. I've been playing a lot of um, Nintendo Switch. We've been going to Mystery Rooms. The Mystery Room has been lit. <laughs> yeah, we've done like three, four Mystery Rooms. Mystery Rooms while high. <laughs> you know, just, and, and I mean, I've also started going on hikes, mm-hmm. um, trying to find new places to eat. You know, meditation. Meditation. Just, oh, you know, my things, things that service you, things that make you feel good. Thing, oh, and I've, that's the other one. As I went to a museum, yeah, which was amazing. Yeah, right. It's just like I said, things that service you, make you feel good. Things, things that don't necessarily have like an objective value, right? But they do have meaning and importance to you, right? That's one thing I want to emphasize with this conversation is like typically things that don't have some type of productivity value or don't come with a paycheck, we're told that they're not important and that we shouldn't be spending our time prioritizing them. Um, it creates this kind of capitalistic production value of our bodies where we start to see ourselves as units of labor. And if we're not pouring into ourselves and making ourselves into machinery, well, what happens when the machine breaks down? You only get one body, right, in yeah. this life. And so I think, you know, in this conversation, I really want to emphasize that we should be doing things that don't have to be attached to some form of payoff or some form of transaction. It could just be like, it was just fun. It made me laugh. I felt free. I felt relaxed. It doesn't have to lead to some type of connection or job opportunity or networking event or, you know, and it doesn't have to pull that kind of energy out of us. It could literally just be us, you know, skipping in a damn meadow. You know what I'm saying? If that's what makes us feel good at that moment. And it makes it a little bit easier to weather these storms because they're going to come. Right. Especially as as members of minority communities, they're going to really come and they're going to be hard and they're going to be tough. And we can't, you know, just wait around to say, when is the optimum time to sit down right. and take a nap? Right. Or That's the thing, too. Eat it or eat a food I like or a drink that I want to drink. We don't know how time, how much time we got left. That's one thing I feel like COVID also really brought home for me is like, we just don't know how much time we have left. We do not know what tomorrow holds. And so we have to treat every single day and every single moment like it's important and valuable. We have to stop looking out so far that we can't even sit in where we are right now, you know? And and not even that every moment is valuable, but we ourselves are valuable. And so yes. every moment of our lives are valuable, not just to us, but also to the world and what we can provide and what we can pour into ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, I don't want us to spend so much time looking back over COVID, but what I do want us to do is take some lessons from what we did to survive it and what we did to care for ourselves and care for our communities and our loved ones and use that going forward. It should not require a crisis for us to pour love into ourselves and into our communities. We should be able to do that love and self-care work all the time. Thank y'all for listening. Before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at that BLK couple, on Facebook at that black couple, and look us up on the internets at www.thatblackcouple.com. Bye.